If I must die, you must live. To tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings, make it white with a long tail, so that a child, somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze, and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself, sees the kite, my kite you made, flying up, above, and thinks for a moment an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope, let it be a tale. It's a poem from Rifat Alaria, an English teacher, professor, uh, poet, writer, educator from Gaza, who was, by all accounts, assassinated by the Israeli occupying forces uh, just two days ago. Welcome to One of 200, the independent media and politics podcast. We're continuing to cover the genocide in Gaza. I'm joined by my co-host, Ginny. How are you doing, Ginny? Um, yeah, I think about as good as anyone else is doing in the current political climate. Um, but yeah, we're trucking along. <laughs> we're trucking along. And returning guest, friend of the cast, uh, we should make your co-host too, Lamia. How, how are you holding up? You know, surviving for the people that can't, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's pretty it's pretty horrendous to have to watch a genocide live on your phone every day. Like that's what we're being forced to do. So that's pretty hard. But we are not living it, so I think we can't complain too much. So it's been just over a week since the uh in heavy air quotes humanitarian pause ended. Uh, in Gaza and the genocide and ethnic cleansing campaign uh, by Israel continued against the Palestinian people. Uh, they just sped things up. They have made it worse. Uh, they are telling people to move to areas uh, of southern Gaza. I mean, this was happening. This has been happening for two months. Uh, but I think within days now, they'll tell someone to move somewhere and then they'll bomb them. Um, they are doing surgical strikes against people uh, like Rafat Alarea, um, who are cultural figures or, uh, you know, known in the West uh, who are speaking out. They are actively going after journalists. They are destroying uh, medical infrastructure. They are detaining uh, and murdering UN staff. Uh, just in the last uh, two or three days, there was footage and uh, photographs uh, cycling through the news put there by the IDF themselves. They're, they're doing all this out in the open as well. Uh, you know, this isn't <laughs> this, this is not uh, disinformation or whatever the propagandists want to want to claim. This is this is coming directly from Israeli spokespeople, like so many of the genocidal and ethnic cleansing. Um, statements uh it has, it has come from israel first uh of men who were taken from a un school i believe who are sheltering there uh stripped bound blindfolded uh taken on trucks out to the beach 
um, and and lined up, guarded by soldiers with guns. Um, I, yeah, as as many people have said, this is echoes of uh, genocides in times past. Um, the U.S. I think the most recent update from them is to say, like, and this is just fucking awful. I I cannot believe this. Um, I just retweeted it a little bit earlier uh, this morning on Saturday, uh, and that was to say, we do not support calls for an immediate ceasefire. This would only plant the seeds for the next war. I don't even have words. Like, I don't even know how we're supposed to respond to that. It's so horrific. I, yeah, sorry. I'm just really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when you were in school, we were in school, we learned about the Holocaust. And we sort of had this idea in our head that um, how could the world let this happen? Well, you know, they may ha- didn't they may have not known the news didn't travel fast enough. We didn't have footage, right? I, I did learn actually that the US probably did have footage of the Holocaust and just acted to do nothing. And and I was sort of like, well, the people didn't know. And you know, we didn't realize the extent of the Holocaust and it was happening in Germany and Poland and elsewhere. But like now you know that it doesn't matter. Like if the powers that be want to commit genocide, they will just commit genocide and there's not much we can do about it. Um, It's really hard because, you know, I'm personally from a country that has survived genocide and as as created out of a genocide, right? Um, Though some people deny it, that one as well. Um, And and that was U.S. sanctioned, sanctioned by Henry Kissinger. Um, May he rest in hell. Um, So... I think that the, so you th- you think you know every time it happens and it's happened in the 90s as well right while we were growing up and so you think every time it happens it's not going to happen again because we're going to have more information we're going to have more eyeballs and then it just keeps happening again and and even the Iraq war protests were 20 years ago and I sort of vaguely remember them being on TV and being covered on you know news because I was in the US at the time but you can tell that they were not covered as extensively because the US was pro the Iraq war. So you thought growing up and, you know, as you became an adult, you thought, well, that was 2003. Now we have iPhones and it doesn't matter. And, and, you know, we're seeing this with our own eyes and then we're being told something the complete opposite and there's nothing you can do about it. And anytime you say anything, you just get accused of being an an anti-Semitic person. And you can't criticize the state of Israel. You can't criticize the Zionist ideology, you are an anti-Semite. And that's really hard because, you know, I was raised in a Muslim household and it's so weird for me because we were specifically raised to not hate Christians and Jews because supposedly we're all people of the book. And it wasn't until I came to a Western country that I was like, oh, like Christians really hate Muslims. And I did not know that because I was like not raised that way at all. Like I lived next to a quote unquote Christian neighborhood in Bangladesh and like the government would send a band on Christmas Day and the band would go around playing music on Christmas Day. And I was jealous that like I didn't get to experience <laughs> that. Like I never learned to hate Christians and Jews until I moved to a Western country. And then now when you're standing up for like the 
to prevent the next Holocaust being accused of being an anti-Semite is such a difficult thing to sit with. And, um, but you know, you just, you just have to get over that because we, we have to stop this genocide, right? There's no other choice. And we have to pressure our government because there's no other way. And so that's the only thing we have left. And we can't, like every day I wake up and I feel despair because I see these babies. And now that I'm a new mom, I feel like they're my babies. And I never thought I would feel this way because I do not like children that much. And then like, now I'm just kind of like, I, I it just hurts so much. Um, but you can't be like, oh, it hurts. Like, you know, and I, I can't go on. You ha- like, it's happening to them. You have to go on. So that's really all I have holding on to me right now is that we have protests every weekend and we have to keep going. And part of me thinks that we need to bring the country to a standstill, essentially. But I know we can't get there because we don't have a strong, strong enough union movement to do that. But that's really what what we have to do. Sorry, and I'll stop ranting now. But that's where I'm at. No, I mean this. this is it's a rantable, like situation. Like cause... we have to stop. We can't say that like oh never again didn't mean never again. It's happening again, and there's nothing we can do. We we just have to stop it. Otherwise, like humanity can't continue knowing that we saw this on our phones and we didn't do anything. And there are some union movements uh, globally that are starting to do this. Like, it is becoming more politically untenable. People are marching every week, uh, even our own government this week uh, on the first day of parliament uh, made a slight movement in the direction of calling for a ceasefire, which was not a given um, due to the you know the, the kind of government that we now have that there's a strong possibility they they wouldn't have done this um and aligned more strongly with the us and israel uh instead uh what they've said is uh, some half measures um so move towards a ceasefire i think is is the wording they've got uh but they're not outright calling for a ceasefire uh, because they're moral cowards i want to be very clear about why that is um, and moral cowards, uh, and they are, yeah, invested in a uh, lackey relationship with the large Western powers, and they're they're afraid to say anything. Um, and maybe even worse than that, uh, they they want this to happen. Um, so, fuck you all. Uh, and yeah, as you, as you said, Lamia, we just have to keep going after them. I do feel, so, and I want to give Ginny a chance to respond as well, but I do feel like they want this to happen because I think that the Israeli and Palestinian conflict has been sort of sold as this, you know, unsolvable conflict. It's it's really complicated. It's not. Um, and so in their mind, oh, we can just get this like really complicated, annoying little thing off our backs if we just do enough ethnic cleansing and then displace the Palestinians and move them around the world, um, then we don't have to deal with this anymore, right? Because that's essentially what's happening, right? Yeah, that's what is going to happen. Yeah. They're going to move them out of Gaza. You can't go back to Gaza because there's no infrastructure. You can't go back to Gaza because you can't plant anything. They're not just destroying the infrastructure. They're destroying the ecological system. They're about to salt the water table um, under uh, under the cover of saying they're flooding the tunnels of seawater they're about to like make it uninhabitable yeah and they're gonna and 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 they're not gonna stop at gaza they're gonna do that in the west bank as well right and they're and they're and they're gonna push these people out they're gonna establish a state of israel palestinians will be refugees around the world and and i think 
I think one of the things is that most Western governments are pretty comfortable with that because that is how we were established, right? Like America established itself by driving Native Americans to almost extinction, right? Like, and they just ignore the Native Americans that do exist. So does Canada. And I, I know New Zealand likes to say we're much better with our indigenous policies. But, you know, if we could get away with it, we'd do it here too. And the only thing that stops it, by the way, is the treaty. And now we're trying to like dilute the treaty. So, 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 so I think most of us are pretty comfortable. We don't see Palestinians as people. And so the idea of moving large numbers, it's just a number on a piece of paper. They're not human beings. They don't have lives, families. They don't fall in love. They don't, ex they don't experience hunger and pain. Like, I want to really point this out that we don't see them as, as how we see ourselves. Um, and, and, you know, I also am a victim of that propaganda because I remember sitting and thinking about the fact that they were asking people from hospitals to move. And I had just been in the hospital with a C-section. I just had surgery. And I really had to put myself in the position of a woman or a child who'd gone through surgery and being told to move and how ridiculous it is. Yet I see all over Twitter people saying like, well, they gave them more. Did they move. just move? You, you, when you, when you're, when you've had surgery or when you're sick or when you're in the hospital, you cannot just get up and move. You are in a lot of pain or you, you just can't move. And, but we don't see them as human beings experiencing. Also, that's not like... reason enough in, in and of itself. Like no, no one no, should have had no. to move from Northern Gaza just because the IDF had a yeah. carpet bombing campaign. Yeah. And so, and I think it really, and I saw it today, I've, I see trolls saying things like, well, you know, Hamas is embedded with the population. And I'm kind of like, um, I'm really sorry, but like, if there was like a murderer, you wouldn't just blow up his house with his wife and kids because you're not good at police work and you can't get him out of there. You can't, that's not their problem. Like that, that their person happens to be a murderer, right? You got to figure out a way. What to if they were this. an educator and a poet though? And and this is the th thing when you read out that poem, it's it's so hard because that is a real person with real feelings that wrote that, and we don't see them because I, we the Palestinians have been dehumanized to a certain degree that we just we see them as non entities, and and that's what's really hard. And I really and and there's this like uh, there's this narrative out there that we are denying October 7th, that we're denying these atrocities. And I'm I'm sitting here being like, I don't deny October 7th and I don't deny October 7th was terrible. I don't see how that's an excuse to do more terrible things to more people. Like, and I don't understand why this argument doesn't fly. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that not only, you know, are our government moral cowards and just lackeys of the US, I also think that our government is extremely right-wing and, and, National Act New Zealand first is, but also to a certain degree, labor on its own were. And I I understand they were in a difficult position because October 14th was the election, which is seven days after this happened. And then they were in sort of a caretaker state. So they're put in this like, kind of weird position of taking this huge position as a caretaker government. But like while in the moment, I'm like, yeah, that's a very difficult position. 20 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, it didn't matter that you were the caretaker government. There was a freaking genocide on you should have said something that would have been the morally right thing to do. The, and they should have known. A really clear but, um, example of that uh, about the Labour Party in particular is that Damien O'Connor stood up in the House uh, on the first day of Parliament standing and called it a genocide. 
And then Labour have gone out of their way to resile from his comments. And the media have tried to paint it as him stepping out off the Labour line. And she just yeah, like, I mean, Phew. he was he was actually saying that before. Yeah, right. He he was saying that right after the election as well, right? While they were while he was still Minister of Trade, and I think before he went to APEC, he said, "Yeah, so this, they could have right? stronger language, and they're choosing not to." They're cho- they chose not to. So yeah, and they're choosing not to. So yeah, I, I, like National is right wing, and they're led by a, a you know a right wing person who's you know sort of a Christian fundamentalist, in my opinion. Um, who's hiding it? But anyway, I don't know if we can actually post we that. Can. <laughs> um, but um, but also, I think that like some major lacking of spine from Labour's part, which is disappointing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was actually just watching. Well, watching. Um, I've been following like the UN News Center Twitter account, even though I hate the UN. But like you know, it's just what you do, I guess, in this climate and I think 45 minutes ago the United States just vetoed a security transfer resolution that would have demanded an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza and release of all the hostages so yeah and I and, think that's the the line I, I read out from the uh before was in response to that disgusting yeah it's honestly quite fucked like I think the U.S. has vetoed I mean I think maybe between like the 1990s and maybe like 2010s there's something like maybe 13 vetoes and apparently most of them were actually about Israel and Palestine. Like from 97 on until now, like the US government has been essentially unchanging in its position on the way that it treats the concept and the question of Israel and Palestine. I think what they vetoed one in 97 that was, that basically every other state, every other member voted for um, that and that resolution was about how all the measures taken by Israel to alter the state of Jerusalem were invalid and called on them to sort of like be normal um, and follow the Geneva Convention. And the US was like, no, actually, that's really fucking stupid. Let's not do that. And um, they also vetoed another one. I think it was potentially that same year um, that demanded Israel cease construction of settlements in East Jerusalem. So I just feel like obviously this is horrific and this is shocking but this has always been the u.s position and i think that is almost always the worst part is that because this is the sort of like established imperialist position that we can know this in 2023 and be so much more educated so much more aware of how fucked up western imperialism is but that the people of every country just feel disempowered to actually do something like carl was saying like we are protesting every week this is happening in multiple countries like multiple cities in Auckland, in New Zealand, which seems so far away from the US, people are up in arms doing activism and it doesn't actually feel like it's actually changing anything, which is the worst part. And then as you were saying, Damien O'Connor said this was was a genocide. Yesterday, Ginny Anderson, whom I hate for sharing my name and saying awful stuff online, by the way, because she always is trending and I'm like, what have I fucked up now? What have I said about people now? And she said yesterday that um, she couldn't agree with Damien that Israel was guilty of genocide. And I was like, how can you sit there with a straight face, talk to anyone in the press and say that what's happening isn't genocide? Same with Paul Goldsmith, who said that genocide has a very high threshold that Israel hasn't met yet. And he's wrong. Which is fucking ridiculous. I'm like, how has Israel not met this imagined high threshold for genocide? And if we had a media that like did anything close to its 
like journalistic duty, they go and get the like yeah. list of things that constitute or signal a genocide, and they say, okay, which of these does it not meet? It's just it's just so ridiculous how I feel like there's obviously and one thing I find really disappointing about the whole election situation, right? I mean, apart from the fact that it's New Zealand Act, um, and and the first act in national now, which again is just I would want to blow my brains out. Uh, the problem I think with the election is that all of these people, there's this narrative that people just voted for national and for this inevitable coalition because they saw that Labour was not doing enough and they want to change. They want a tangible change to move the country forward. And I don't think I've heard a single thing in the press from our current MPs that has given me any confidence that we're moving the country in the right direction. Like we're not even moving, we're not even moving the needle on local status issues, let alone international ones. And to see like the government do intense American Israel bootlicking within the first what three or four weeks of being elected is honestly horrific. First week. Like who are who are they? America doesn't care that New Zealand is trying to suck up to it. Like America has other things going on right now. Like I don't see what political capital we are potentially farming with America by agreeing with them that genocide isn't happening right now. And like, how can you as an MP look out of your shitty home in Auckland, in Remira probably, or Hearn Bay, see people literally march down the streets to the city and go every week feel like you're in the right, that you're like taking a morally defensible position in any way, shape or form. Like that to me is completely mind-boggling, right? Like the common people's idea of what's right and what's wrong is just not the same as bureaucracy, which shouldn't happen. Like in no way is that meant to happen with elections. That's just not how politics fucking works. Like, am I crazy? Like, I just feel like I'm crazy. Thinking you're you're crazy for thinking that that's not how politics works, and but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think we can't discount the fact that our politicians want to be a member of the club. They want they want to be able to go to things like APEC and rub shoulders. And when they go, you know, our ministers when they're going to these events and they're you know they want the pat on the back from American counterparts. Like we they want it right. Um. And I'll give you a I'll give you an example of how people can be bought up with very little. My mom always tells me to run for office. She always says, you should run for office. You should, you should, you should do something. You should fix the problem. Like you have these great ideas, right? And I always sort of give her the example of Paula Bennett and Carmel Sepuloni. Like I say, I could run for office and I could become an MP. And then someone would come to me and say, here's a nice little brown face with a nice little Muslim name. Look how diversity, you know, conscious we are. Hey, Lamia, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and you'll get to be a cabinet minister. You'll get to be minister of social development, but you need to shit on beneficiaries, right? And I would do it because, man, would I love to see minister of social development on my CV, right? Because I think in my heart that welfare is the number one thing I care about. And if I ever got there, I would fix MSD, right? But you can't without the title, but they only give you the title if you follow the line, right? And so you get sucked up in the title and you forget to do the work and you care more about building your CV. So you can see, and, and this is why I refuse. I, I would, I, I, I used to want to run for office to be, if I'm really honest, because I used to think I could bring change, but now I'm kind of like, it doesn't matter. We, we had, you know, the right people in the right positions and they didn't do anything. Like, how do you, how are you a single mom on the DPB who got the training incentive allowance, become a lawyer, become a cabinet minister, and then delete that? 
Like that happened with Paula Bennett. And after that, I don't believe that I can bring any change, right? Like that's how people are bought and sold. And that's how New Zealand politicians are bought and sold, right? Like, Have you considered that you're just a much, much better person? <laughs> no. Because, no. you know, and, and I, ju- I just, how, like, how do you see what's happening and not, like, how do you open your phone, every the apps on your phone every single day and not, not like, it doesn't, for me, it does not need to meet like the four criteria of a legal threshold, right? Like there are children who are crying for their parents as they're being their legs are being amputated and their parents are not there because they're dead. Like that's enough for me to say we need to stop this, right? I don't care if you want to call it genocide. I don't care if you want to call it murder. I don't give a shit, right? If a four-year-old is crying for their mom and their mom is already dead and they're that is a problem for me, right? That that's the threshold. That's that's all I need. Um, and I think for the U.S., you know, the the sheer levels of weapons they're selling to Israel, the giving, and giving the technology, basically. or or giving, but you know, like, so someone's getting paid for it, right? So it's Raytheon or or Lockheed or whoever is getting paid for it, and there's a justification in the minds of these politicians that these industries are hiring people, right? And so they're providing jobs for Americans and it's basically a government's job subsidy program. As soon as Joe Biden stood on the podium and said the words arsenal of democracy, I I knew where this was going to go. You you knew that US wasn't going to turn off the tap. Yeah. If If the US is not either directly or indirectly engaged in war you know, every sort of three to five years, their economy tanks. And I, I know I'm I'm going to sound like an, a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not. This is like, this is public information, right? You can't have your, econ- your entire economy being propped up by weapons manufacturers and surveillance technology manufacturers and not have war because how are you going to sell it? Like, you know, like, do you... Like the question that we should be asking is, do you fundamentally believe that Raytheon and Lockheed should go out of business? No, I don't believe that. Well, then you believe in war. You believe in perpetual war because that's that's the society we live in. And so I think that's the disheartening part of this is that this is going to happen. Maybe we'll put a stop to it and we'll save some lives. And that's the only thing we have to look forward to. But this is going to happen again. In Again, it's in the next five years, we're going to see another war like this. Or maybe it's ha- it will happen covertly. But I mean, it it's happening happen alongside again. this and other yeah other jurisdictions, other right? Places, like it's right. happening right now, um, and places which we're even more racist against. Um, yeah, you know exactly. and that uh, there's there's less uh, information on the ground. There are less people who able to get their voices out. It's obscene. Which is which is why I know all of us collectively sound like crazy people, but if we don't dismantle capitalism we will never stop wars and we can't fix climate change and we we cannot fix any of these problems because if you if you really draw a you know like a picture and like a line it all leads back to your on your profit growth for companies right it's not and i always have to emphasize it it's not year on your profit it's year on your profit growth so this year's profits have to be higher than last year's profits. Otherwise, your stock doesn't go up. It's not enough for you to just have a profit, right? Which I think is the most problematic thing that we are experiencing. And I don't know how we get out of it without regulation. Like you have to 
stop companies from doing this. Um, and if we don't sort of like, I, I guess, slow down this this capitalistic growth, you know, imperative that we've put on companies, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, this is the root cause of why we have these wars, why we all had to go, you know, get ourselves exposed to COVID on a daily basis. It's why we can't, you know, effectively fight climate change. It's why we can't have housing. We why we can't have welfare. Why we can't have anything, right? Good. Why? That's the reason why that we live in a country that create, you know, produces enough food for forty million people, and then there are people lining up at the food banks. Does that make any sense? Make the math. Math. It's not mathing. So that's that's really where I'm at. Pivoting uh, from that. Uh, we have a new government. <laughs> the uh, parliament has just started sitting this week. Uh, it's just looking bad. Like, not even a, in the sense that they're going to do bad things. Just incompetent on levels that I have never experienced in my life. Uh, they've had two major leaks from cabinet already. Um, or I should say cabinet leaks because I don't, it's not clear where the second leak came from, uh, but it is of um, papers to cabinet. Um, they've had one of the ministers, Brookman Valden, has been called up for just lying a couple of times already. Uh they have a hundred day plan, which is just ludicrous. They're, they're one of their big wins. I think that they've, they've pushed out faster than anything else that they're planning to do in their hundred day plan is putting the English name first instead of the Maori name for public institutions. That that is a thing that they made happen fastest. Like that was their highest priority was to change the name from Waka Kotahi New Zealand Transport Agency to New Zealand Transport Agency Waka Kotahi. That, this is, <laughs> this is your government, New Zealand. Well, I think this is a New Zealand First Act government with Christopher Luxon as their EA. So that's like, that. if we had, if, 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 we, if you could imagine a New Zealand First Act government this is what this would look like. I don't think this is a national government at all. Um, they pretty much conceded on everything. And even if they hadn't conceded on everything, they conceded on their flagship tax policy and how they were going to pay for it, right? So no foreign buyers. And now they're doing all kinds of crazy things to find money to pay for these tax cuts, right? So, and, and again, and this goes back to what I was saying before. Christopher Luxon wants to be prime minister and he will be prime minister at any cost. And he is now prime minister at any cost, but he is really, you know, um, David Seymour and Winston Peters is EA. That's what he is, right? He was asked about Israel and Palestine. He deferred to him, to Winston. Um, he he does not have a point of view. And, and you know, you can say, Lamia, that's your opinion. I'm like, show me a one proof that he has a point of view about his vision for this country and where he wants to see this country go, right? He has all these platitudes, I know, like, you know, We're back on track, Claudia. We're back on track. We're back on track and all that kind of stuff, right? New Zealand is under new management, blah, 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 you know? But tell me, like, one, one of his visions, you know, like, 
I want to see New Zealand be X and this is how I would like to do it. Whenever he says it, he says, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll still reduce the emissions, but we'll allow oil and gas drilling. Like it doesn't, the points don't, you know, so, and I get it. I understand he used to be, you know, like president of a division. Then he became the CEO of a pretty major you know, airline that has world recognition. So the next step for him is to become prime minister. Like there's just, there's nowhere else for him to go, right? Because he's a right winger. He can't go to the UN. Um, So he he has to become prime minister and then he has to get that knighthood. He, he has to stand next to the president of the United States at an APEC summit. That's, you know, he and th- those are the things that he's ticking off, right? And I get it. And I'm really happy for him and and, and the fact that he's able to, you know, tick those boxes for his career. Um, But this is not a national government. And so we're going to see these weird little things like New Zealand Transport Agency, Waka Kotahi, from Waka Kotahi, New Zealand Transport Agency. We're going to see these weird little things of like us not signing up to the WHO thing on um, the next pandemic. We're going to see, you know, we like just really weird stuff in the first hundred days, like banning cell phones in schools, which schools can do anyway, right? Um, getting rid of the Fair Pay Act, even though that's one of the things that raises wages and one of the things that differs between New Zealand and Australia. And we want to be like Australia, but we're just going to do it anyway. You know, it's like it's little things like this. You know, these are ACT's pet projects. Um, if if ACT said you know, you got to bring back the flat tax rate and otherwise I won't make you prime minister. Luxon would have folded on that too. If ACT had said, you know, we're going to privatize the entire health system, he would have folded on that too, right? We're just we're just really lucky that ACT didn't ask for even crazier things, in all honesty, because, you know, we, we have cooker policies and we have crazy libertarian policies. Name me one thing that is a national party policy from an ideological point of view there's nothing it's an you know so so i'll just reiterate the fact that yeah it's it's interesting to live through a new zealand first act government with a um you know ea from the national party that is christopher christopher luxon that's my point of view yeah i mean i just thought it was actually a at first quite funny then quite ridiculous that no one could actually agree what nzt actually meant they were like transport authority, transport agency, transport association. And I was like, fucking get it together. Like, honestly, like if you're going to be racist shits about it, just pick one thing, <laughs> pick one through line for all of you guys to just like echo and that will be fine. But I, I do think that, and maybe this is also just from like a, a I guess what, like a, what, because of a commercial perspective or something, maybe. So um, obviously, um, national, well, this current government, I, I do agree with you that it is national in appearance, but it is obviously just sort of like David Seymour and Winston Pierce going like puppeteering, I suppose, the rather uninspired bloated corpse of Christopher Luxon. Um, but I would say that in terms of like how much Labour got shat on for using consultants and agencies and stuff last year, um, as someone who works for an agency myself this year, um, pretty much I would say within like a couple of a week or so of the government sort of being finalized, um, a lot of our government contracts kind of just went like radio silent completely, um, especially on the, on the departments that I think are having their name changed or things like that is sort of going on, Prime Minister's office, blah, blah, blah. So 
I don't know this. And I was talking to someone that I work with at a different agency and who sort of lived through multiple successive shitty governments. And she was basically saying that this happens every time. They do like a whole refresh and they bring in their mates to consult with them and stuff, essentially. And they just do this every single time, which is fine. Um, but what I find interesting is even though the... What I find a shame is, I suppose, all the projects that we were working on with obviously a whole bunch of other government stakeholders were all projects that I think were trying to, and I would say this obviously as much as a commercial agency can try to, um, were projects that were thinking about um, trying to incorporate Te Ao Māori and the principles of the treaty into commercial work for government departments. And obviously now that we no longer are on those projects, we've stopped that work. And I don't think that anyone that gets brought in now is going to be doing that work. And I think that that honestly is a real shame. I think that we felt we were being progressive doing that stuff, even though we were starting it, what, 2022 last year. But to me, it just screams of like how much, it just screams of like how much the country is going to be, I think, set back in terms of that dialogue between like embracing tetirity, incorporating tetirity and respecting tetirity. Like all that's going to be essentially, I think, in the corporate sphere, either washed away or like even more tokenized than it is now. And it is a shame because a lot of the work that we do with agencies that are not government agencies, a lot of creative work and a lot of things about New Zealand that people want to advertise, especially Atataki Auckland Unlimited, they want to promote Auckland as like a place that's super diverse, that's super in touch with like the mana of the people that live here. But that is not the reality of Auckland or New Zealand for people that are running the country. Like they want you to forget that Auckland even has people that are Maori who are live here who live here and work here and and have been tied to land for decades and eons right and I just feel like this new strategy of advertising Auckland as like I guess a less shitty Melbourne um of the Pacific <laughs> is actually honestly quite fucking stupid like it's honestly quite ridiculous like, I'm reading through Tataki Auckland's Unlimited's advertising goal for Auckland next year um and they want to <laughs> what's this um they think that New Zealand has a very specific brand and this document doesn't use the word Aotearoa at all, by the way. They think of New Zealand's very specific brand and Auckland's very specific brand um, and how it needs to honour Māori and Pacific culture, which I think to me is just, these are just word exercises, right, from a marketing agency. Um, but I think that this is the sort of way that New Zealand is going to become portrayed in its, I hate this word, in its outward branding. We're going to get this reputation for being like this weird cooker country on the edge of the world, who has bizarre anti-vax policies or something, thinks kids should be allowed to smoke, um, and apparently just wheels people out who are native to do dances once in a while to advertise the country to Australia. Like, that is so bleak to think about, not just from, like, a human perspective, but also from a marketing perspective, because, like, that's just a shit job. That's an awful advertisement for a country. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? It honestly blows my mind. But, that like, I think you've hit on the point, though, because nationals entire policy idea is just dismantling things they don't actually have anything they don't have anything to like carry us forward it's just i don't like this i'm gonna break it i don't like this i'm going to break it like that's their only we've made policy too much view, progress right? take it yeah back. um and so we we need to take it back and and like let's not discount the fact that like this was one of the most racist campaigns run right like with with all the you know, stuff against three waters and the way we talked about three waters, the way we talked about the treaty, the way we talk about Maori in this country and the Maori Health Authority and and the progress we're making, 
it was an extremely racist campaign, especially from ACT, but also from Winston and, and New Zealand Forest. And from and, National. And, and from National. And so, and so, you know, this this election was won on being anti-Maori. Like that is how this election was won, right? So so some of the things that you are seeing and we're seeing is a direct result of that. But again, I have a hard time believing that this is the same national party that had Chris Finlayson um, as their treaty minister that had even John yeah. Key. And I say this as someone who has deep, deep, you know, loathing for John Key, but this does not feel like that same national party. Right. And I, if, if someone asked me like, how do you place this party now? I wouldn't even know where to start. Right. And so it, it ideologically feels like a party that's designed to prop up Chris Luxon's, um, career because I just want to ask this question if Christopher Luxon wasn't the leader of the opposition and if he wasn't the leader of the national party right then what is this campaign because it felt like a campaign to make him prime minister specifically and nothing else right and I felt that way from the party itself I felt this way from the media because the media were talking about him five you know, years ago as soon as he became a yeah as soon as he became before an MP that, before that and before and before that right like he wasn't even an MP. And so they just decided that this this man needed to be our prime minister, right? So that's why you have this, this, you know, unraveling of everything that's been done because they don't have any ideas apart from just saying, we're going to stop what labor has been doing. Like that's their only idea. Um, and and I think you're right. I think it's really unfortunate. I And, and I hate to put this on, you know, I'll put this on our indigenous population, but I feel like the only way for us to get through this is for Maori to just say, no, we're not going to, you know, show up at your events and give the cultural spin that you need from us, right? Like, you know, do your Western... Don't worry, crap, they'll, right? they'll do your... call on Brian Tamaki to do it instead. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll call on him, but, you know, there will be some that, that will, you know... I mean, let's not forget the fact that Winston Peters and Shane Jones are I mean, Maori so is David Seymour. And they are... And and they're propping this up. And like, you know, and like particularly from Shane Jones, who is so like he is, I hate to say this, but he's such a beautiful Tereo speaker. Um, how do you come, how do you have that point of view and how do you have that within you and be so anti-Maori or at least prop up such an anti-Maori government? I will never understand that, right? Um, uh, but but that's the situation we're in. But that's the only way we're going to get through is, is for people to, object protest and not you know sort of be a pushover and go along with it right like and and we need to be the the thing that's missing is we need to be questioning the government constantly like when christopher luxon was asked so are we going to change the name of tapapa as well and he was like oh i don't know you know we'll, we'll see you know why don't you know the answer to that question right uh, why like you you do hear how ridiculous that sounds to change the name of Tapapa or removing the word Kiwi, which is a, a Maori word from you know our vernacular, right? You do realize how crazy that sounds, right? And I, I think I think we need to be questioning why we're doing this. Like, you know, 10, 10 years ago, I was really afraid to say any Tereo words. Like I'd be I was scared to say Kiora because I thought I was saying it wrong and I didn't want to say it. And now, you know, my husband who's American wakes up our child every morning with morena like and and like the more you get exposed to it the more normal it becomes and and more easier it becomes right and so um i think this i this idea that like 
people don't understand Maori and immigrants don't understand it and we can't infuse our our society with it. It's 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 just so like a factual. I don't know if that's a word, but like it's not the facts. Like immigrants are learning Maori and we do use it in our everyday words. And these things do come easy once you've been exposed to it. And it's not a bad thing. And the only reason you think it's a bad thing is because you're racist. Because if this was Welsh, Italian, if this was French, if this was Spanish, you would not have this reaction to it, right? Like, it's so crazy. And I coming coming from a US point of view, the reaction people have to Spanish from Latin America and Spanish from Spain. And that tells you everything you need to know about how people view these languages, right? Spanish from Spain. So cool. Like, so amazing. Spanish from Latin America. We need to scap it out. Like, why do we have dual languages? It's the same fight that Americans are having. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw this. And this was the last thing I'm going to say. I think it was the Canterbury Crusaders that like welcomed one of their players who I think is Welsh in this whole like Welsh thing on Twitter. And like, I did not see one single comment saying like, this is an English speaking country. Like there were so many comments saying, this is so beautiful. And I'm just sitting here going like, we have our own indigenous language. And when we do this, all you see is racist comments. Like the anything to do with Tereo on Twitter, you see the most insane racist crap. And so that's how you know, this is what this is rooted in. And yeah, the only way that we can fight this is by basically saying no and just and pushing forward because, you know, this government is going to last maybe six years. We we could make them just last three. Or oh, less. Three, but the know? party Māori really um, kicked it off in style on Tuesday when Parliament yeah. uh, landed uh, <laughs> with protests around the country. Just like with, yeah. with very little notice as far as I can tell um yeah got people marching everywhere and that's just a i think that's just a taste like once this government shows that it's serious about trying to dismantle the treaty and they will they they will show that they're serious about it because as you say that's a that's major policy for both new zealand first and act and christopher luxon is just their aea uh they will yeah. try and do this uh and I've said elsewhere, you know, ACT might not have got that referendum across the line from the government. There's no way that they're not going to try and do a people's initiated referendum campaign in the same way that um, groups like the TPU and Julian Batchelor were pushing for co-governance. They, they're going to try and do this because they want this division. They want this wedge. They want to drive this racism uh, and use it as a political tool. Um, I, I think the, the left needs to... Um even if people on the left didn't vote for the Maori party, this is when we need to lean in and, and lean into that activism and, and really support them because, because we, we can't, we can't buy into the racism as well, which I think some, some aspects of the left will, and we need to stop basically, because that's the only way to stop this government. And you're going to see a whole bunch of um, just really out the gate, uh, attacks on Te Pāti Māori uh, coming yeah. uh, hot and fast uh, very, very soon. Uh, they're probably already starting in some circles. I haven't really seen it hit the papers uh, quite yet. Um, yeah, but if it happened to Tori Whānau yeah. in Wellington, it's going to happen yeah. to the Māori Party. And I think a lot of it's going to come yeah. under that um, umbrella of civility politics. Uh, talk to Mohandatta um earlier in the week about this and how it's used to 
kind of people away from the conversation. Oh, it's just out of line. You shouldn't do politics like this. Um, it's not appropriate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to see so much of that um, that is trying to uh, talk directly to people who are more on the left or center, um, who are more comfortable, who are more middle class. Uh, oh, look, they're, they're just trying to break institutions. That No, that's not what's happening. The people destroying institutions are the right-wing government, uh, like we're seeing from right-wing governments all over the world. And this minority party that represents the indigenous population of Aotearoa is trying to push back on that. And focusing on whether or not you think uh, the way that they're doing it uh, meets your criteria for civility is racism. Uh, and it's racism in uh, service of power. Uh, so yeah. You, you just yeah. everyone should just be keeping that right in the forefront of their minds because it's going to get nasty as hell. There's a, there's a really sinister aspect of white politics where um, brown and black anger is painted as rude and impolite, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's inherent of being a white person that you are polite and calm and sweet. Right. And, um, and I noticed this in a lot of like South Asian movies about colonialism and how they paint the British in India, right. In the subcontinent, the British are like these, you know, dressed immaculately tea drinking, you know, they have these little umbrellas and they just speak really softly while they were killing, you know, Indians, you know, on a daily basis, right? Massacring Indians, right? And um, yeah, and and but that aspect of them is is not really shown, right? It's this like, you know, they're just friends with the various kings in the various kingdoms in India, and they're just having tea, and and you know, they're just oh, you know, we're just here to help, right? You know, we just happen to be in India. Why are you in India? <laughs> like, you know, and so I feel like, and so having been exposed to that. And been told that like, you know, my people are savages and dirty and angry and, you know, like impolite and rude. When I'm here in New Zealand and I see the way Maori are painted and it's sort of like, hey, um, we actually have a right to be really angry because you're stealing our resources and you're killing our also, people. Also, yeah, I mean, I've um, got to be fucking rude about it. And I'm going to be really rude about it. Right. Um, And so, like, for example... Um, there's this like uh, a thing in in Dhaka, which is the capital of Bangladesh, that they used to weave muslin in a certain way, and that um, that whole way of doing thing is lost because the British cut off everyone's thumbs, right? This way of weaving, and um, and people think this is just like a mythical. It's not a mythical story. Like it's this like really soft cotton fabric that was like designed for the weather of that that you know country that doesn't exist anymore. Instead. What do Bangladeshis do? We make polyester, you know, garments for the rest of the world now. Like that has become, that is the legacy of colonialism, right? And so, but but the picture is, are these like really polite, regal, you know, um, white people that, you know, tamed us, right? They, they stopped the practice of killing your wife um, when the husband died. And so I, I, my mom will tell me this, right? Like if the British had never come, we would have still continued that practice. And I'm like, no, we wouldn't have, right? Like, you, you, you know, we would have stopped just like all other forms of barbaric stuff has been stopped, right? Like we don't need white people to show us the way and show us the light, right? But you see this in New Zealand, right? Like 
I am polite, I am nice. And if you are angry about the dismantling of, you know, your founding document, then you're, you, you know, we really need to step back and be more nicer about it, right? Um, but on the other hand, you know, we'll dismantle the Maori Health Authority and that will mean more Maori will die earlier and lack of access to healthcare. That's not rude, by the way, because like we're following the process. Like if we right? kill you with if policy, the process, then it's not it's not yeah, the murder we want then to do it's it not, with our bare hands. It's not yeah, but if you if you have a hikoi up and down the country and you scream and yell, then you are being impolite. And like that is like it's just like weaponized politeness. And I admit and I am guilty of that, right? Like as a brown person, I have tried to be this like polite person with nice manners when I am on RNZ and when I'm on morning report, because you know, otherwise you're just an angry brown person. And it's sort of like people have a right to be angry. Th these issues are really awful and they impact us really badly. So it's okay to be angry. After the protests, um, when Christopher Luxon asked about them, he said, oh, it's a bit unfair. Like, we, we haven't even done anything yet. Yeah, mate, you put out a 100-day plan, which is going to, like, dismantle multiple policies which are helping make the country more equitable it's weird that he thinks he has a mandate and that somehow labor didn't like i'm not a defender of labor but you are like delusional if you think that you with your hastily cobbled together government with new zealand first and act have a mandate but labor with their like majority in parliament three years ago didn't have a mandate right so if you have a mandate, they have a mandate. And if you're going to dismantle their policy, you better be prepared for the ramifications that come with it. Like 50% of the country didn't vote for you. Did you think they were just going to sit back and say nothing because you eked out a win? Like he's so delusional, but, you know, he has the right honorable prime minister title. So, Well, and even less know. people voted for the parties whose policy he's implementing, right? Like it's Correct. like 70% right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to uh, quickly talk about before we close the episode, uh, we've got a mini budget coming up uh, from Nicola Willis, who is just lying about everything to try and buy herself time while she struggles to, I don't I like, I guess we'll find out what she's going to try and do with this. Uh, because as, as you've already said, uh, they're not doing the foreign buyers stuff, so how they're paying for their landlord tax cuts. Part of this is um, keeping, well, effectively, they're going to have to get more people to smoke um, so that they can pay some of this with excise tax. Um, she said, there are, oh, there are a lot of uh, nasty surprises because apparently she didn't read the prefu. Um, she's just a laughing stock already, like... Right, for anyone serious, looking at what she's saying, you just say, did you not do your job? Uh, mini budget has kind of, and, and I've been saying this since almost the beginning of the year uh, with some of their rhetoric. I, I, I predicted they'd try a mini budget before the end of the year if they won, um, and I have compared it to what uh, Truss and Kwarteng tried to do in the UK, do we think it's going to be that disastrous, though? Uh, no, I don't think it's going to be that disastrous. But I do think it's going to be very disastrous because I don't think the National Party know what they're doing. Um, 
And so I think Luxon went to the UK, got some ideas and is going, and he is going to, he did bring some ideas back from the UK, right? You can see. And it was the same people who informed Um, Truss and Quating. I want to be very clear about that. Yeah. So it's the same people, same ideas. I think doesn't quite play in, in the same way in this country, but he's going to try anyway. Um, the disastrous thing is going to be the the landlord tax back thing. That that is actually going to be disastrous. Um, and then the second disastrous thing is is them pulling out of MDRS right for housing. So if I look at the housing situation, that is going to be the disastrous aspect of it. And what is um, what what is going to cause disaster is because most of our paycheck in this country goes to housing. Most of everyone's paycheck goes to housing, right? Whether you're a renter or even if you have a mortgage, if you're not a weird landlord, your paycheck is going to um, your housing costs, right? Um, So when you take that and you combine it with the new um, direction to the Reserve Bank uh, to only focus on inflation, which means maybe interest rates will go up. I don't know if you guys saw the article that, that there's more people getting close to defaulting on their mortgages. Um, and so if you take that and you combine that, um, I think what we're going to see is high rent prices, um, low home ownership, um, more people unemployed because we're only going to be focused on bringing down inflation. And the Reserve Bank has already said that we need like 50 to 75,000 people to lose their jobs for inflation to come down. So if you give them that mandate, that's what they're going to do. Um, so I think for, it is going to be disastrous for, you know, anyone who works for a paycheck, right? Um, and that could mean someone who's on 30K and it could mean someone who's on 150K who has a really big mortgage, right? It could be any of those people. Um, I don't feel super sorry for the some person on, on 150K because those are the people voting for national. Um, and, but but at the same time, it, you know, they have kids. I'm sure it's going to impact them. And I, I I do feel sorry for that situation, right? Um, I think one of the things that I really struggle with is why is it that we've had now basically over 40 years of neoliberalism and the voters haven't figured out that every time you vote for a right-wing party, this is what happens. Like, I don't understand why the propaganda works so well. Um, and like, it's one thing that the boomers are captured, but- I'm now noticing that even like Gen X and millennial generations are also captured. We're also, you know, moving towards more right-wing policies as we get Because there's no left-wing option, Um, though. Like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have more options than the Americans. Yeah, that's true. And I know that uh, the Americans, like, literally have no options, right? We At least we have the Greens, we have Tepati Maori... We, we actually do have options, but we don't take them seriously. And I don't know why. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, so I think it will be disastrous. I don't think it will be as disastrous. One of the things we have on our side is that our elections are not every five years. And I just want to put it on the record that I'm extremely against extending it to four. Get your shit done by three years. And if you can't, don't cry to me. Um, and so I think that, um, that this is actually a good thing of our, you know, good feature of our democracy is that you, if you fuck it up too much, you will will boot you out of office, yeah, right? It, so that's I think that's going to stop them from doing. It's going to take thing. more than three years and get elected again. Like get yeah. good. Yeah, um, I'm really against the four year. Um, I think that not under this like, government, you know, not not in the current with the current state of political parties. Yeah. None of them are going to use that for good. Yeah. No. 
And so like, you know, if we had moved like significantly to the left and national were like, you know, left and we didn't have a crazy libertarian party and a and a crazy conspiracy cooker party, sure, maybe we could make that work. But I don't trust, you know, I don't trust anyone to do good things for in four years. So um, so yeah, it is it's some bad times will come, but I'm kind of hoping, and I don't know, maybe I'm I am delusional too that this government is so bad that maybe we could boot them out of office in three years. That's kind of what what I'm going to put my energies in. No, I think we should all be aiming for that at the very least, right? Um, yeah, I, I think so. And I feel like one of 200, especially not to just, you know, say that we're great because we're great. But I do feel like every time I read the news on any other outlet, whether it's staff RNZ, the Herald's not really outlet, so I wouldn't even cover them. But, like, there is nowhere else. I don't think any journalist has really criticized a politician since they've finalized their current cabinet. And I find that's just honestly to be, like, unconscionable. And I feel like without people to hold these MPs to account publicly, and there is no other way apart from rigorous journalism and press coverage of this stuff, there is no way that we can get these fuckers out in three years. Um, so I think in order to do that, to accomplish that goal, which I completely agree with, Amia, I just feel like we definitely need to create or foster a media atmosphere that actually judges them, passes judgment on them for what they're doing to the country. And I just don't know what it will take for mainstream media to create that atmosphere or to encourage it within mainstream media. I'm honestly almost too jaded at this point to believe that mainstream media can do it. Yeah, and... I think the one thing we have seen pushback on is Winston Peters saying that the media was bribed because, you know, they they were being directly insulted. So, of course, it's going to get a fucking rise out of them. But it, it went away within, like, two or three days. Like, just have yeah. some guts. And then they started propping up James Meager for oh, no reason. so fucking embarrassing, man. Like, boots don't taste that good. Yeah, it's... it's... No, I do think... I think we have to... Uh, continuously and persistently call out the fact that the two things are not the same. So for example, if you take smoke-free as an example, having a smoke-free policy and not having a smoke-free policy is not the same. There's no both sides there. And it's it's, uh, it's media's job to engage with the policy, not the fact that labor won or national won. But right now, I think what they're focused on is that well, national wants so that they get to get rid of it, right? And then, and then the analysis stops, right? Um, uh, so we need to continuously ask, like, and and I think our media is being shamed by international media because the smoke free got a lot of international coverage and how stupid and ridiculous. Well, inter- it is, international right? media published you, but um, that's becoming less likely in the <laughs> in the national media, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think part of it is that I, and 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 every outlet that I've appeared on, I have refused to do this sort of like sports commentary on our political parties because I don't think it benefits us, right? Like I accept that the national party won and put together their coalition and Chris is the prime minister. It it does not mean anything to me. What 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 to me means something is, do people have access to housing? Is cost of living coming down? Are our lives better? You know, do we have a better society? Um, 
Are we respecting the indigenous people of this country? Are we respecting the treaty? Those are the outcomes that I care about. Like, I don't really care who gets to be prime minister, right? Like, is there, a, I mean, we literally had to choose between two Chris's, you know, it, that's how ridiculous this last election was. Um, and so we have to continuously call the media out on that. And I think some aspects of the media are learning, and it's, but I think that it's very easy for them to fall back on the the horse race aspect of it because we've just been doing it for too long. And, and, and it, it, it happens elsewhere. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in Australia. It happens in America. And America is a particularly insidious example of it, right? They're just obsessed with it. And the American elections look so flash and, you know, they spend over a billion dollars and it just looks so, you know, sparkly that we want, we want it and we just fall for it. But, it just doesn't work in New Zealand. Like we're we're a small country of five million people. People just want to go about their lives. They want to go to the beach at Christmas. They they just want to chill out. Like we're not Americans, yeah. you know. And so, yeah. So, I think I think that that we our focus for the next three years needs to be calling out how ridiculous the policies are. Calling out the fact that people voted for change and then didn't get the change they wanted. We should be calling out the fact that how do you vote for change and then get the same minister of foreign affairs that you had six years ago? Like that's not change, right? That's just putting together a jigsaw puzzle. So Luxon can be prime minister. And I, I know I've said this like five times on the show now, but I'm going to keep saying that that is the whole reason for this government. And that's what we need to be calling out. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us, Lamia. Thanks for having me. Um, I really needed to rant no, a lot, and you guys let me do great. that. So. Yeah, let us know whenever you need to do a rant, and we'll we'll have you back. Uh, and thank you to my co-host Jenny for for joining us again. Yeah. No. Worries. And thank you to our audience. Thanks for listening. Uh, share, like, subscribe. Uh, head us up on the Patreon. Give us some money. Help us do independent media. That's been another episode of One or Two Hundred. We'll catch you next time. If I Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain